Today's episode is brought to you by G2 Crowd. Part of it's education. Part of it is before we make a field for anything, the question that I ask that marketer who's requesting it is, can I personalize or segment on this field? And if the answer is no, why am I collecting it? Is it going to help feed an algorithm that's going to serve up better interactions for our customers? Okay. But again, if I can't segment on it for you and I can't personalize on it for you, why am I holding it? What are you planning on doing with that? And if you don't have a good answer for that, we're not going to save that information. You're listening to Stack and Flow, the sales and marketing technology cast with Sean Zinsmeister and John Wall. Hello and welcome to Stack and Flow. I'm John Wall. And I'm Sean Zinsmeister. And today our guest is Sam Uzum. He's experience architect at 3M. Uh, he's also an Eloqua master and he's got a bunch of things that we're going to talk about as far as data and everything that they've got going on. But Sean, you had an article leading off from CMSWare talking about AI and improving the future workplace. What's going on there? Yeah. So actually, this is a little bit of a self-serving article, but one that I actually think is really interesting for our audience. But, you know, one of the trends, you know, we talk about AI a lot and it kind of sometimes seems like we bring the same rehashed article and story and look for a different angle on it. This one in particular is really about talking about AI and machine learning for BI, the whole AI for BI type of movement that's happening. And there was a, a small piece that our data evangelist from ThoughtSpot had included here, which you know we also talk about what is the human component in AI and making this uh, whole stuff a reality. And I think that where AI and analytics, he sort of makes the note, is that he points out where automation can potentially lower the bar for access to data and ease of interaction, uh, that's not going to be a silver bullet. Even adopting and automating AI applications, businesses will need to teach their organizations you know, about what data is available, how it can be applied, what should be applied. And that's, this is kind of why his call for internal evangelism uh, really comes in. And I think that if you look at what the hallmark messages are, you'll see things around data literacy, data fluency, and kind of why those messages are starting to to reap benefits. What's interesting here is there was a talk that I recently did in San Francisco talking about self-service analytics and like kind of what that means. And it's interesting that data access continues to be a problem, just access to the information. There needs to be this technological bridge that's rolled out by the data experts in order to connect business people with the information that they need to make informed decisions. Right, because otherwise it just really ends up being these blind gut decisions because people don't want to wait anymore. And AI, I actually think, is is a part of that technological bridge that's coming through. And I think that the other thing that I'm seeing is thinking beyond the dashboard. I think it's very, very common for business people in large organizations. This is where I'm naturally going to loop Sam in to be served a dashboard or report from. BI or the reporting team or the data expert team. And for most business people, maybe not the ones with Sam's sophistication, but to sort of not know really how to explore it. And I think that this is another application of where AI is going to be really interesting to sort of teach people how to dig into their data and how to drill into it to find interesting insights um, without having sort of the skills and the know-how to do it. I'm curious, you know, Sam, I mean, 3M is a massive organization and I'm curious just from your experience, but also even looking at things at a high level, you know, how are you sort of thinking about data access and strategy? And, and does some of that sort of resonate with, with what you're seeing? 
No, absolutely. You know, and I was excited when you when we started this conversation and looking at this article because we run into time and time again as we've purchased great tools and increased our marketing tech stack. And those of us who work in digital marketing are incredibly happy with those tools we have and we understand how they work with each other. And exactly what you said, you know, we serve up to that marketer who owns that PL for that campaign and we say, There you go. Here's all your tracking codes. See what's working. And to them, they see the matrix. We see the world behind the matrix, and to them, it's this big jumble of code. And so what we've realized is starting to work in the ways where helping them ask the right questions so we can serve up those right answers. And it's been an incredibly important piece, and where AI has really been able to help with that is saying, here are the trends that you're seeing. Here's how we can guide you to ask the right questions, and they're learning hand-in-hand with it. So I think we see that trend uh, absolutely happening, and especially with us where we're on one global instance of our CRM and our marketing automation platform. And so it's even more important that our marketers and our business stakeholders understand what that data truly means behind it, because definitions become so important when we share a database like that. Yeah. The other sort of application that it makes me think about is there's always a lot of talk in the marketplace around natural language generation. Um, and to back up and kind of explain what that is for some folks who don't know, uh, the really the ability for the machine to process a whole bunch of data and then spit out a natural language text, a thread. Think about how Google, for example, today is automatically tagging pictures without the help of a human. It sort of processes, it ingests the photo and the data of the photo, and then it says, hey, this is a dog playing on a beach. Like, for example, it's just spitting out the description. That same type of technology is already starting to be mirrored in the BI realm as well, where it's not just about, like you said, using the algorithms like outliers and k-means and things like that to find interesting trends and things in your data, but also then being able to spit out an image to say, hey, did you know this particular product was selling really well in this particular zip code and really get down to the transactional level really, really quickly. But that it's not even the technology that's interesting to me in terms of like what natural language generation is. It's the education part. Because I think that that's like the real key because... And I like that when I think about this technology, and this is why the article from CMS Wire was something I wanted to bring to the table, because the human is a very important part of that discussion. Like the technology is being used to enrich their education and help them make better decisions rather than what has really been trumpeted in the industry today, which is that AI is taking control away, right? The idea of self-driving where you can just sort of sit back and relax and let the machine drive itself. I mean, we're just, we're not there yet. And I'm just curious, you know, Sam, is that sort of what you're sort of seeing as well? Absolutely. You know, I think as we went down the path of looking at how do you do first lead scoring on a global platform and that led into, you know, predictive analytics. And so many of those vendors are in those same spaces. And as we've tested out predictive analytics on our databases, we've done that with three separate divisions. And what's been really interesting is they need to learn over time. And a lot of our marketers, I think, were worried oh, the AI is going to come in and it's just going to say, you don't have a choice in who your MQL is anymore. And that's not the case at all. It needs to learn for a long time on a database of that size. And it needs your input and needs you, like you said, to hold its hand and say, no, look here. But what's really interesting is, again, our customer base is so large. And at a 3M, we'd have a person who we thought was a new lead for one division and brand new to 3M. They've actually been buying a million dollars a year for the last (laughs) decade. And where the AI can help you there is to say, hey, did you know that nine times out of 10, the customer who buys this also buys this? And so why isn't that customer buying it? There may be a very good reason why they're not, but what the AI is helping you do is to kind of look through the fog and say, this is where you have to look over there. 
and it's serving up opportunities for you to do that. But as you said, Sean, I completely agree. Like the human still has to look at that and make that final decision and that call on it. Sam, back up just a second for us too now. So as far as what's on your table as somebody at 3M in charge of customer experience, give us more of an overview of what your day is like, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So I sit as the marketing automation experience architect, and I supervise a team of those architects across our B2B divisions in the US. And that experience architect role sits really looking at our marketing automation platform, but then everything that ties into that MA platform and then how it pushes into our CRM system. And because of that, it's almost like a gatekeeper of experience in a way. As we've done an agile transformation ourselves over the last year and a half and started focusing on more specific campaigns where we can see deeper ROI, that role has become even more important. And I think a lot of what I've spent on time on recently is what Sean, you brought up earlier as well, which is how do you serve up business intelligence? So how do we go from the tactical level of looking at a specific analytical report of who's clicking where and show how that's affecting the customer experience at a persona level. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm building a lot of theoretical maps um, and then figuring out how we can actually tie the data from our analytics system and our market automation platform into those to start seeing trends. So that marketer can almost say, got it. I see there's a problem over here as opposed to my engagement rates low, but I don't know across all of my sites and all of my assets where the problem is. And that's really where I think the crux of my work has been lately, is trying to focus on that. And then like any of us, it's trying to tie ROI into it. (laughs) You know, we sell completely through distribution on the B2B side. And so unlike an Amazon, I have no idea when that person comes to my site and I've sold to them, let's say, did it actually go into the cart on the distributor site? And was it abandoned in the cart? So we know what we drove there. And so that's an incredibly complex problem that we're finding interesting and, you know, looking at new tools to tie some of those experiences together. We just have to pause for a moment here. This week's episode is brought to you by Qualaroo. Do you know why a prospect never bought your product or service or why your customers decide to leave and never come back? Don't guess based on vanity metrics. Make sure to ask. The team at Qualaroo specializes in helping companies like TripAdvisor, Ticketmaster, Spotify get to the why by cultivating the right questions, segmenting the right audiences, and asking at the right moment in time. By looking at over 120 million responses, they've curated the top questions that have received over 10,000 responses and at least a 20% response rate. They're giving these questions away for free. You can go get the guide now. Just visit uncoverwhy.com. You just fill out your info there and you're directed right through to the questions. Get right to the questions that get the results you're looking for. It's everything you need to keep engagement and conversions rolling through your website. Check it out. Again, that's uncoverwhy.com. And we thank Qualaroo for their support of the show. One of the questions that I have, Sam, around the data is 3M sells thousands and thousands of different types of products, I'm sure through thousands of channels all throughout the world. To me, what makes me think about is the complexity of the data and the disparate data systems that you have to be working in. And you you mentioned sort of attribution and the marketing team and how you guys are pulling intelligence. Mm -hmm. How do you go about thinking about the strategy around architecting to sort of find your way through all that? Like, What is sort of the strategic approach to sort of making sense of what might seem to most like a spaghetti. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. When we started this, I think unlike other companies, because we are truly on a global instance of our Salesforce CRM and Eloqua marketing automation, we truly had to look at those platforms and say, these are actually the only two platforms who have a data dictionary right now. And so if you can get it into Eloqua, get it into Salesforce, then you can combine those two. And so we almost had to make that gateway. But even in doing so, 
you know, I think most companies aren't going to run out of fields on their contact records. We did very quickly because we've got 26 global divisions who, when we looked at one division in the U.S. and one division in Japan, and the division in Japan said, oh, I want to know stock market rank. Mm. And the team in the U.S. went, okay, fine, we can use a contact field for that. And then five minutes later, I went, wait a second, do you mean the Nikkei? And the U.S. team goes, well, I don't care about the Japanese index. I want the U.S. stock market index. Yeah. And that's where it's binary, right? It's I can't change what that field means. And that has been a huge culture shift of adoption to starting to understand the implications of when we're collecting data and on pick lists, they have to match. And what can we personalize? What can we use for segmentation? And so it's been a lot of change management to now where our marketers and honestly, with the times that we're living in with the Facebook data breach and Cambridge Analytica, mm-hmm. our marketers who weren't thinking about this before, they're all of a sudden going, oh, I get it. I can personalize on that right. or I can segment on that. Right. And it's so it's an interesting time. Like, again, we've spent spending a year and a half trying to get to this point with them. And then all of a sudden this happens. Um, and there's almost this, you know, even outside of B2B, this data awakening for all of us of, mm-hmm. God, this is what individuals are doing with it. So that's the role that I sit in there, which, again, is a lot of whiteboarding doing the strategy pieces on that and tying those systems together. But now it's how do I take these visual documents, find those data sets to pull into it. But of course, those data sets, as we talked about, we need to make sure the definitions are correct, that the fields are meaning the same thing. And for us, that's starting to involve, I'd say, our tech stack right now of systems that we're trying to make a complete data dictionary for is probably well over 100 systems right now. You're using an interesting vocabulary that I think is going to be new to a lot of audience, a data dictionary. Talk about that. Like, What exactly is that made up of? How do you guys approach that? Yeah. So the data dictionary, the easiest way I can say it is think about it like if there was a dictionary of English to Spanish and the English to Spanish dictionary would say in this language, hello means what over here? It means hola. And so what the data dictionary does for Salesforce and Eloqua per se is to say, if there is a field inside the contact record in Salesforce or in Eloqua that says SFDC lead rating, where does it go on the Salesforce record? So what matches to what? So just like in a language where this word matches to this word, what matches to what when we do an upload? And so for right now, those are the only two systems for us where we are very clear, again, just like a dictionary of what matches to what. And so when we collect data in one spot, do I have another place to put it? And this is so important because, you know, trade shows, for example, we had a lot of our marketers giving us lists from shows where they had done a badge scan. Truly, this was a a good lead that they met. But all this information they were collecting, I had no field to put it on in Eloqua or in Salesforce. And so it was just bucketed in this pile of the notes field and the inside sales rep. We couldn't segment on any of that information, right? I couldn't score on it. I couldn't prioritize a list for them. I just said, here are the names, here are the phone numbers, the emails, the company names. And now look through the notes fields. So by working with those marketers to say, what are the fields that are very important for us to qualify a lead? And then do we have a spot in our CRM to put that piece of information? And if we do, then I can score on it. We can prioritize it. We can make different list views for our inside sales teams. And that's where true efficiencies start to happen. But it is a a long path to starting to understand those systems. So we started with the big ones the CRM and the marketing automation platform. And now we're starting to look at how do we tie those other pieces into it. And so when you get that stuff all linked up, then obviously you push for this to actually come to actionable stuff and work on the customer front with such a huge, broad expanse of products and everything going on. What can you focus on for customer service? Like who do you look for, for examples and, and where are you trying to go with it? You know, the customer service thing is an incredibly interesting piece of that. I was just in a 
insights team meeting the other day as we were getting ready to kick off a project in our agile lab. And this was a meeting of 20 people who were all touch digital in some way. And the icebreaker was, tell me your name, your role, and what's a good or bad customer experience you've had. Out of 20 plus digital people, only two of them were digital examples. The rest were retail or restaurants or hotels or airlines and talking with people. And so I think one thing that we've come to understand is that really, if you're B2B or a consumer, you expect from digital the same experience and the same genuine nature as you almost do from an in-person interaction at a restaurant right now. So I'd say we look at all these other experiences. So even to the standpoint of I ordered Jimmy John's the other day. And it took 30 seconds for Jimmy John's as I'm looking at their screen and it says, hit refresh. I hit refresh and it says, we're making it. I hit refresh and it says, we gave it to our delivery guy. I hit refresh and it says, it's on its way to you, super speedy, quick. I was like, well, that's cool. So we actually took that back to our team and we said, hey, could we do this for samples? When somebody reaches out to us and says, I've got a technical question about an adhesive and would it work over here? Could we have them answer that question and say, our crazy smart engineers are working on it? They hit that button again. We say, we've come up with a solution. They hit the button again. And we say, the sample for the solution is on its way to you. Why not? That same experience on a consumer level is going to make that B2B customer just as happy. We'd like to thank G2 Crowd for their support of Stack and Flow. Get the right software and services for your business when you're adding to your stack. G2 Crowd has over 400,000 validated user reviews to help you make smarter decisions. Visit them over at g2crowd.com. You talked about Agile a couple of times. We actually had Scott Brinker on the show previously, and you guys are really starting to become big Agile champions at 3M, sort of, and you mentioned sort of the use of an Agile lab. Mm -hmm. What was sort of spurring that, and then how is that process going for you guys? What's that look like in application in terms of the day-to-day, in particular with like your team? Yeah, absolutely. So the team that I sit within, we are almost uh, an internal agency that then serves out to our business stakeholders who are our clients. And the reason we do that is then all of us who are working on the tools have that knowledge, collective knowledge together. We started embarking down Agile just over a year ago when Paul Aceto became our CMO here at 3M and instantly pushed us to say, this is the way marketing is moving um, and became that champion. That's what happens when you get an, an ops guy in charge of your money. Exactly. Your you know, and I think it was within a couple of weeks, everybody had Scott Brinker's book in their hands. And Scott came actually out to 3M and talked to the entire marketing team there. And a couple of months after that, Roland Smart was out talking with us as well, since we're an Oracle customer. And again, he's into all things agile. And so that kind of, I think, inspired by having those individuals here and from Paul's leadership, us to get on that train. And really what that's meant for us is at first, it was a couple of small key cross-functional groups who were learning how to work in specifically in Scrum, in Agile. And then we started expanding that more. And and what it's turned into now is actually a large building on our campus where we have about 20 bays. And each of those bays is filled with a cross-functional team of corporate marketing subject matter experts, and then also the business experts themselves as well. And they meet for half days, and then they're always doing sprint reviews. And those of us like myself who are a subject matter expert in experience architecture, I work across those teams. And so I can learn from those teams there. I think that we've right now kicked out probably about in the last year, 40 plus of those projects. And it's really been instructing and teaching our marketers to show that, okay, we're going to do more, but focus on less and really focus our time. And that's what Scrum's allowed us to do. But we have moved so much faster because we've been in that same place. We've been able to work on tools together. And a lot of this work about data dictionaries now is much faster and easier for us to understand because 
the marketer who's working on a lead capture form at a trade show again can look at me and say, hey, Sam, does this field match to Eloqua? And I can answer them instantly, as opposed to them shooting me a note or a ticket in JIRA and waiting for all these processes to happen and finding out weeks later, we can make those decisions on a fly. And we've actually even at a trade show gotten a call from a sales rep who said, we keep getting this question. I want to capture the answer. And on the fly that day, we changed the platform at the show to capture the question. We built the field in Eloqua. We built the field in Salesforce. We captured it. And we had an email out a week later that used that information. Had we not been working in Agile in that way, never would have happened. There is a fascinating technology that we're experimenting with ThoughtSpot right now that that whole anecdote made me think of called Spoke. And actually what it is, is a AI chatbot that lives in Slack that is there to answer what we call redundant ad hoc questions. So think about things in your organization anywhere from like, hey, does anybody know what the Wi-Fi password is or the IP for the printer? Or do you know where the data sheet is? Or, you know, the first call deck? By the way, our ops team literally started to use this as a ticketing system, which is fascinating. And it really just, it's SPAC. Answers, 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 which is incredibly cool when you think about like what ways can you sort of use technology to become more agile. And so I wanted to just sort of plug that there. But when you talked about agile, you also linked it, Sam, to talking about data. And there's two questions that I kind of had around this, which is things that I'm curious about around data privacy, data quality. How do you guys go about thinking about this? And what are some of the day-to-day processes and strategies that you guys are looking at? Because obviously security and privacy has got to be top of mind at an organization like 3M. But also, you know, with all of the stuff that you're feeding data into, how do you do governance and quality control? Yeah, no, it is a, uh, <laughs> at an organization our size, it's exactly that. It's we want to move faster, right? Move fast and break things at the same time. Governance is so core to what we have to do because we're on these one massive global systems. Part of it's education. Part of it is before we make a field for anything, the question that I ask that marketer who's requesting it is, can I personalize or segment on this field? And if the answer is no, why am I collecting it? Is it going to help feed an algorithm that's going to serve up better interactions for our customers? Okay. But again, if I can't segment on it for you and I can't personalize on it for you, why am I holding it? What are you planning on doing with that? And if you don't have a good answer for that, we're not going to save that information. There's no reason to save that piece of that customer information there. That other piece is, you know, hey, I've got a list that came over here and I want to upload that list. Well, I don't have their consent, so we can't email them. Why do you want me to hold this data? What am I going to do with it? And kind of working through some of those pieces there. And then the other piece is, you know, what systems talk to each other? When we started looking down predictive analytics, what was really interesting was we had to, with our potential vendors, share enough of our database without sharing any PII, personal identifiable mm-hmm. information. And so it was incredibly interesting to start looking at just the data itself and not the customer name, not the customer company name, just to simply look at those things. And so we've got uh, different tiered governance boards where if a division wants to start using their own technology, it goes through one tier. As soon as they want to tie into, let's say, our CRM system, it goes through another tier. As soon as they're going to tie into multiple system, it follows other tiers as well. So there are multiple layers that work through that. And then at the point where the corporation says, we see value in this tool and want to make it available to everybody, then obviously the security review and the governance that that has to go through goes all the way up to the C-suite level. Um, And it's exactly that same question. You're using this, we get this, but again, is it driving value for the customer? And is it driving a good experience for the customer? And if it's not, why are we doing it? 
And Sam, you are no stranger to the modern marketing event that Oracle puts on every year and being just a a watcher and observer of what's going on in the industry in terms of sales, marketing technology, as well as data and analytics. I'm curious, not necessarily things that you use in your day-to-day, but what technologies are out there that are starting to come up that are interesting to you that you're sort of watching? What's kind of piqued your curiosity that you're starting to see out there being innovated on? I think one of the most interesting spaces right now is BI visualization. So I think that there's a lot of tools out there, whether they be Tableau or Domo or Power BI, who have really taken you know Excel charts and made them incredibly interactive. But to the average marketer who says, I'm trying to understand where my customer is, how are they moving? And even though this is a nice graph, it's still a graph for me. It's not a, a trail map of where they actually are and how they're interacting with things. And so some of those interesting tools um, that we're looking for right now, and actually I think even developing in-house because we cannot find them, are how can you take all that information, that taxonomy and that tagging structure from all these systems and serve it up in a visualization that could be persona focused. Mm. So for us, we look at that and say, I may not know because there are thousands of marketers at 3M that my one customer, who's a good customer I, actually interacts a lot with content over here in this space. But could we have a business intelligence tool and a visual intelligence tool that showed me that? And now I can go reach out to that marketer and say, hey, you've got really good engagement rate with this persona. What's the content you're using? How are they engaging with it? And could I then bring that over into my area? So we're definitely looking for those tools out there again, where I can kind of help become that decoder, let's say, you know, to take that data, take the analysis level into a chart and then take it from a chart into a visualization. So you can look at that and say, got it. I see where things are actually kind of moving in that way. Sam. I think people would be really interested to know, like, what are you reading these days? Who are you following? Where are you getting your inspiration and some of your ideas? Like, share some of where you sort of go for that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. And I'm a student of uh, social economics and a student of philosophy. And so what I'm reading kind of always goes the gamut. I'm a huge Tom Friedman fan. And so, you know, I just finally started into reading his book, Thank You for Being Late. And, you know, and then started reading some of the work of John Kelly who's the senior VP for Cognitive Solutions at IBM in charge Watson. And some of the things that you know, he's talked about right now and in the speeches we watch him give are around the fact of how do you distinguish the questions that need to be asked, which is part of AI. Like, how do we serve up the right questions to ask and how do you, uh, marketers who can ask those right questions. So Tom Friedman and John Kelly right now. And another incredibly interesting one I've been reading is Turn the Ship Around by Captain David Marquette, mm-hmm. which is about a submarine, essentially, and taking, you know, people who were essentially taking orders from a captain and just doing that into people who were really leader followers and really saying, okay, how do I become a leader myself into the, what, you know, John Kelly talked about? How do I ask those right questions and activate upon them? And it's interesting how those two things kind of work off each other. Yeah, that's great. Captain Marquette said in that Simon Sinek leader seat last uh, camp, I've talked with them about that before. That's fantastic stuff. We'll have a link to that in the show notes so people can check that out. Uh, Sam, if people want to learn more about you and or and or 3M, what's the best way to get in touch? Absolutely. So, you know, LinkedIn is definitely where a lot of my thoughts, whether they're on blog on Medium, are going to be on there on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn.com backslash Samuel Usum. Uh, and then Twitter is the other spot for me at Sam Usum that you can find me there. That sounds great. And Sean, as we wrap up, anything you've got going on that you've got to throw out this week? So coming up, depending on when this drops, and it probably will be a recording of it nonetheless that I can share, but I'll be speaking at Big Data Summit in San Francisco. So I'll have some interesting stuff to talk about what we're doing at ThoughtSpot and probably have a few customers that we'll be interviewing there. 
talk about sort of how they're approaching self-service analytics as well as answering ad hoc questions for everybody. So look for more about that from me. And of course, you can always find me on the regular social media channels. Uh, Twitter is great, S Zinsmeister. You can find me there. And of course, LinkedIn is also another great way to get in touch. That's great. You can always find more from me over at marketingovercoffee.com. And talking about MarTech and Scott Brinker, uh, we're going to be at the fall event. So if you're going to be out in Boston for that, uh, it's a ways out in the calendar right now, but not too early to start thinking about it. Thanks for listening. That'll do it for this week. And we'll see you in the stacks.